Hi, it's Sunday, and with Daylight Savings Time, it's noon, and Sundays from noon to one, I entertain you with in, with information about Biden's slow demise and his twisting slowly in the wind. A gorgeous thing, almost worth having the country go through the hell it's going through to watch Joe Biden go through his own personal variety of it. But I think the Virginia race gives us a real clue as to what Biden is all about. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. And I love someone who's near to me. I'm a loser. I am not what I appear to be. Although I laugh. I'm not what I appear to be. I appear to be a senile old fool. Uh, but I'm, in fact, President of the United States of America. Um, Anyway, the dimensions of Biden's shellacking in Virginia are only becoming clear now when we consider the exit polling that was done that identifies specifically how he did among very specific groups that are right at the fundamental part of his base. These are the folks that he has to depend on, he has to win with, and they're part of the whole base of the Democratic Party. And he got shellacked among them. In fact, if you look at the results, uh, Youngkin did a little bit better than Republicans did, than Trump did, for example, among among Republicans and uh, among traditional swing voters. But when you look at the stats for the Democratic base... It was a wipeout. I mean, this was Custer's last stand. It's unbelievable what happened to him among the base voters of the Democratic Party. When you compare Biden, I'm sorry, when you compare McAuliffe's actual vote with Biden's vote in 2020, in other words, the presidential race with the gubernatorial race, the Democratic vote fell off the charts and the Republican vote soared. Comparing Trump and Youngkin, Youngkin gained 21 points above what Trump did among millennial voters. 21 points up among millennials. Folks are basically in their early 20s and uh, late teens and early 20s. 21 points. That's gigantic. Among women, where the gender gap animates the entire Democratic Party. Women were supposed to be in rebellion against the Republican Party because of the abortion decision. And this is a vote at the state level where the action is going to be on abortion. And the issue was what would move women more? Animosity toward having their kids vaccinated, uh, animosity toward not being able to determine what their kids read in school, not being able to object when they're required to read pornography as a school assignment. Uh, or the traditional women's issues of uh, abortion and, and so forth. Well, the answer to that is that the new women's issues dominated. Women voted for Youngkin by 16 more points than they voted for Trump. 16. You know, they only make 100 of them, <laughs> the points. And 16 among women and 21 among millennials. That is un- unbelievable. And to see why, look at households with children. Households with children. Youngkin 
did 12 points better among households with children than Trump did. So mothers and women and young people, many of whom are, of course, mothers, uh, voted in favor of Youngkin not having backed Trump previously. This, is a, this isn't just a swing. This is a seismic shift. These are geodetic plates moving we're talking about, not just swing voters. It's unbelievable. And among independent voters, the jump ball in our politics, believe it or not, Trump, the Republicans gained 28 points among independents. That means about one out of every four, almost one out of every three independents voted for Biden and then turned around and voted for Youngkin. They were Democrats 11 months ago, and now they're voting Republican. Unbelievable changes. These are, are just just unfathomable. And they come right out of the Democratic base, right out of the core of the party. And this is the kind of stuff you don't make up, you don't compensate for, you don't grow out of. You know, in 2010, the bluest of all blue states in the country, what is it, Massachusetts, obviously, elected Scott Brown, a Republican, to the Senate when Ted Kennedy died. His seat was up for election. That's when Brown had that wonderful comment where he said, this isn't Ted Kennedy's seat. This is Massachusetts' seat that we're trying to fill. And uh, and he won. And that astounded everybody. Won by three points. It wasn't a cliffhanger. And, uh, and then that 11 months later, the Republicans gained 62 seats in the House. The Scott Brown victory was the harbinger of that. It was the predictor of that. And now we have the Virginia race doing the exact same thing this time. It is the predictor of what's going to happen in 2022. I believe it's going to be a wipeout on the order of 2010. I think the Republicans will gain 40 to 60 seats in the House and bury Pelosi so deep it's unbelievable. They'll also win the Senate. But the dramatic victories will come in the House, which is just going to be incredible. Now, among the base that Biden is losing and uh, that the Democrats are losing is the incredible news, the unbelievable news that the Democrats are losing favorability among black voters, African-Americans. The core, the absolute solid iron core of the Democratic Party, they are beginning to lose blacks. You're gonna lose that yes, girl. Yes, you're gonna lose that girl. You're gonna lose. Yes, yes, you're gonna lose Listen to these statistics. In September, less than two months ago, 60 days ago, actually less than 60 days ago, the Emerson poll, which is a Democratic-leaning poll, it's a, it's a left-wing poll, had Biden's favorability among blacks as 72 to 20. Now it's 52 to 40. From 72 to 52. Unbelievable, just an absolute crash. 
In other words, what, what this means, because these numbers sometimes are almost numbing in their impact, one out of five black voters had a positive opinion of Joe Biden two months ago and has a negative opinion of him now. One out of five black voters. Incredible change. Now, I believe that what this says is that the major issue in the Democratic collapse in Virginia was not only the issue of parents and their input in education and their ability to make make sure that their children are not fed to sexual pornography or um, or other lifestyles in school, but focusing on like reading math and, and, and reading and math, uh, but. What the, but this change in the black vote, to me, is because of the vaccine mandate and, more importantly, the layoffs that followed the vaccine mandate. Uh, black voters are saying, you are firing us. You are laying us off. You are not increasing our jobs. You are starving us to death. Our fellows, our brothers and our sisters who are African-American, are not going to be able to feed their families. They're not going to be able to pay their rent. They're going to lose their car loans because you want them to be vaccinated. And that's what this is all about. COVID cases are dropping by 25 or 28% since October 1st. Deaths are going down substantially. Uh, and yet you come in and require us all to be vaccinated. In some cases, you won't even take a negative COVID test. And even if we test negative for COVID, you still will fire us if we're not vaccinated. This is not a civil liberties issue or an esoteric, intrusive federal government and constitutional rights in the black community. No, man, this is survival. This is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of keeping your house or living out on the street because Joe Biden wants you to have a vaccine. And at the same time, we're learning that the vaccine is nice. It certainly protects you a little bit, but you can still spread the disease. You can still spread the virus, even with the vaccine. And look, if the vaccine works, you're bulletproof, right? In other words, if if I get a shot and I can't get COVID because I had the shot, or I can get it, but I'll be sick for a week, who cares? I won't even miss work much. Uh, Then... If, if the vaccine does this for me, why should I care if you have a vaccine or not? Why is it any of my business whether you have a vaccine as long as I have immunity in me to anything you might give me? That's how African Americans think about it. That's how we should all be thinking about it. And they are feeling the tyranny of big government. Now, of course, the media in this country is run by white people. And one of the defects of that is that we do not always understand stuff that is very, very important to African Americans. We're not one of them, so we don't think like they do. We don't, we're not immersed in that society. But we have elections, <laughs> and when the election shows that the blacks are voting overwhelmingly, moving in the other direction, and the polling shows that Biden is losing 20 points among black voters, going from 72 favorability to 52 favorability between September and now, well, something's going on. Something important is going on, and we really need to understand what that is and to follow it. Uh, Let's go to Ralph in New Jersey. Hey, Ralph. You know, 
about the, uh, I have some analysis and reflection about the uh, November 2 election, and that is, uh, it was a road awakening for this country over the wrong direction that Joseph Biden has taken our country into, yep. into the twilight zone, if I may say. And, yep. uh, you know, uh, to add to it, I want to say this, okay? Uh, I can only pray and hope that the world would be fully awake over the outcome of this election. What do you say to that, Dick? I say that the Democrats are dreaming on. They're continuing to be sound asleep. Leave them alone. They've hit the snooze alarm, and they're not going to wake up. They're not going to understand what's going on. We'll talk more about that after we come back from the break. Let's go to Terry in Bay Ridge. Hey, Terry. Hi, Terry. Well, I'll answer his question. He said, who do you consider to be swing voters? Well, right now, man, they're all swingers. I mean, the, uh, it, we're not just talking here about the traditional swingers, the independents, the folks in the middle, the moderates. We're talking about millennials. We're talking about women. We're talking about African Americans. They're all swing voters. You know, I always say that I live on the 50-yard line of our politics, but now the field has moved so far to the left that I'm sitting in the end zone. <laughs> well, in in fact, the swing voters have moved. So the people that you normally would assume are solid Democrat now are becoming swing voters because of this incredible conversion that's being driven by Joe Biden's policies. It is unbelievable. We'll come back in a minute and we'll talk about what Trump is doing on the other side of the aisle because not only is Biden going down, Trump is going up, up, up. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, you know, on the Titanic, there was some poor guy who was standing on the deck who was in charge of the lookout. And he was yelling, Iceberg! Iceberg! Did anybody pay attention? Nope. Full speed ahead. Iceberg! Iceberg! Well, now that's just what the economists are saying. And nobody's paying any attention. They're saying if you look at everything that's going on, it's exactly like it was in 1929 and 99 and 07, right before the crash. Iceberg! The Fed is threatening to raise rates six or seven times next year. Uh, the Fed has stopped its, monetary, its easing policies, its stimulus policies. Washington's going to fight over the debt ceiling in a month. And the Democrats are passing the largest tax increase in history, and Biden's weaponizing the IRS. What more do you need to know that there's an iceberg coming up? You know, when we hit that iceberg, the most important way to safeguard your investment is through gold and silver. Uh, in the previous crashes, that has proven true, and it's going to prove true this time. So you should go to the Patriot Gold Group, uh, where you can get a no-fee-for-life IRA, which means that you can take your 401k, your IRA, and switch it over to base it in gold and silver. And the nice thing about that is you do not pay a fee. There's nothing that comes off your balance every every time you get a report. So remember about the iceberg. Um, now, Donald Trump is having a very nice off year. The Virginia election was a tremendous plus for him. 
The media is, of course, playing it differently. They're saying, well, he stayed out of the campaign and he won. And they won anyway, and that shows how they don't really need Donald Trump. But now comes this Emerson poll we were talking about before, and the results are incredible. Donald Trump is the champion. Listen to this. Last In September, less than 60 days ago, Emerson asked people if the election were held right now, who would you vote for, Trump or Biden? Okay? And their finding was just like a whole bunch of other polls in the country have had it. Trump with a very narrow lead, uh, 45 to 43. Now, bear in mind, Trump lost the popular vote, and I think this really happened. I think in the swing states, there were shenanigans, but I think when you look at the whole country, uh, this is probably what happened. Biden got 50% and Trump got 46 So you're four points down on Election Day, and then in September, you're two points ahead. Yay, that's a six-point move. That's pretty darn good. But listen to this one. Now, it's a seven-point Trump lead. 49 to 42. Used to be 45 to 43. Now it's 49 to 42 in a month or a month and a half. Unbelievable. So this is not something that is just a hypothetical measurement. This is the real actual head-to-head of what's going to happen on Election Day. It's unbelievable what's going on. And, of course, the Democrats are totally and completely ignoring it. They don't learn anything. They do whatever they want, and they go ahead according to the prearranged script, and they pass these bills that are the exact opposite of what the voters just said they wanted. The tables are empty. The dance floor's deserted. You play the same love song. It's the tenth time you've heard it That's the beginning Just one of the clues You've had your first lesson <laughs> That's the tenth time you've heard it Yeah, right Yeah, you've learned, your, you've got your lesson now Are you going to learn it? You know, in Mississippi, where I've done some campaigns There's a great way to phrase it they say there ain't no education in the second kick of a mule. <laughs> you get you get all the education you're going to get the first time the mule kicks you. <laughs> if you don't learn not to walk behind that mule the first time, you're not going to learn much the second and third and fourth time you get <laughs> kicked. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not supposed to crack up at my own stuff. It's hard to do the show when you're laughing. But, I mean, come on. The Democrats don't learn anything. There's a more elegant way to phrase that from Voltaire, the wonderful writer during the French Revolution, who was talking about the kings of France, the Bourbon dynasty. He said, they learn nothing and they forget nothing. (laughs) They learn nothing and they forget nothing. They do it the same way they've always done it, regardless of the consequences. And that is what the Democrats are doing. 
they were defeated in the election because of inflation. So they vote more spending to have more inflation. They were defeated in the election because they raised taxes. So they just raised taxes again. They were defeated in the election because they're spending too much money. So they're just spending another trillion. They learn nothing and they forget nothing. Second kick of a mule. And uh, this this just continues. I mean, you have no idea that, that, that anything happened to the Democrats. If they won Virginia or if they lost Virginia, it would be the exact same. In fact, if anything, it's worse. Uh, I talked about this a little bit in last week's show. When I worked for Clinton in 1994, I was hired the day Clinton lost the Congress. Uh, Hillary called me and said, you got to come to Washington. Bill needs you. And that was when we still talked to each other a lot. And I flew right down to Washington and I met with him. And he said, uh, and, and she said, we were in a meeting, Bill and Hillary and me, and she said, you got to, Bill said, you got to save me. And I had saved him when he got defeated for governor in 1992 after serving his first two-year term. And I, he fired me right after that. And uh, and he lost the election of 1980 uh, and was the youngest ex-governor in the history of the country. So they called me and said, you got to save us now. Got to get us back in 82. And then uh, Hillary said, Again? And Bill said, last time, I swear. Now, had I known about Monica, I would have understood that that wasn't true. I'd have to save him again. But but the point is that that he uh, th- that he lost in 94. And uh, the liberals in the White House, Stephanopoulos, uh, Panetta, Harold Ickes, were all saying the reason we lost, the reason we were defeated is that we did not move far enough to the left. We did not deliver for our base. We did not give them everything that we told them we'd give them. And that's why they voted against us. What we have to do now is be unambiguously left, become completely liberal. And I said, you guys are nuts. You're out of your mind. You lost because you promised a middle-class tax cut and you didn't do it. You lost because you promised to reform welfare and you didn't do it. You lost because you said you'd balance the budget and the deficit's larger now than it was when you took office. You said you'd be a moderate and you're governing like a socialist. I was kind. I didn't say communist. And, uh, and I said, that's why you lost. And I said, the answer is to move to the center, make welfare reform your priority, balance the budget. And when you do that, these guys who are picketing you outside the White House will go home and they'll find some other house to haunt. And and I won that argument. But, man, the moderates are not winning that argument now in the Democratic Party. Pelosi is just riding over them roughshod, saying we need more money, more spending, more taxes. What gives? Are they totally nuts? Are they totally crazy? Is Frank Sinatra right? They, They can't get it together? I don't think that's it at all. I think these folks are very proud of themselves for being true believers. I think they would rather give up their political careers than move to the center. I think that they are saying that this is where we are and this is where we have to stay. They have been brainwashed to believe their own propaganda. Now, some would say you're being you're imputing to them an idealism they don't have, and maybe that's true. 
there is a more practical explanation, which is that they're worried about losing their primaries to radical Democrats endorsed by AOC. You know, during World War II on the Russian front, the Russian soldiers had a choice. They could face the Germans and get shot in the stomach, or they could retreat and get shot in the back by their own commissars who were sitting there with machine guns trained on them to kill anybody that took a step back and retreated. So that was a great choice, right? And that's kind of where the Democrats are at. If they if they move forward and go ahead with these plans, they'll get killed in the general election. And if they retreat, they'll get a primary and they'll get killed. So they're kind of saying, hey, my career is over now anyway. I'm going to have to be selling insurance this time next year. So I think I might as well vote the same way. I think that's probably what's going on. What's going on these days that I think is really hurting Biden and hurting the Democrats is this vaccine mandate. And now they're peddling this vaccine mandate for kids, for people, kids five years old to 13 years old. And there is just no reason for that. Uh, the total number of children who've, di- who've died of coronavirus over the last two years of the pandemic is 156. Now, that's too bad, and I'm really, really upsetting, but it ranks like 12th in the causes of death of kids that age. And the, and, and the, there's just no reason for this vaccine mandate except one, and that is to pad the profits of Pfizer because Pfizer delivered for Biden big time in the election. First of all, they delayed the announcement of the vaccine until a week after Election Day, when they could have made it a week or two before Election Day. There was only one reason for doing that, re-elect Biden. It was a payoff to him to delay that announcement. You know, people always talk about October surprises. Well, that would have been Trump's October surprise, and it's one that God knows he deserved. I mean, the getting that vaccine ready was one of the great achievements of government in the in in the last hundred years. It's at a par with the Manhattan Project that invented the bomb. And in fact it saved more lives than the bomb killed. And uh and he, he really uh deserves credit for that, but Pfizer wouldn't announce it until after the election. And Pfizer gave Biden four hundred thousand dollars of campaign contributions in the election. And Pfizer Gave Pfizer absolutely worked closely with Biden throughout this entire process, and now Pfizer is getting its payback. Look at what Pfizer look at how much money Pfizer is making because of this vaccine mandate. Uh, with 146 deaths of kids five to 18, 
over two years of the pandemic. You know, 700,000 Americans have died. 146 of them are between kids between 5 and 18. Pfizer made $13 billion last quarter from the vaccine. And it added, and now it's adding 7% more to its projections for this quarter because of the vaccination of children. 54% of Pfizer's total revenues are from this vaccine. Over a majority, 54. Pfizer's a huge company. They're the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world. The number of medicines they produce is legion. Most of the statins and antihistamines and diet pills, uh, everything you could think of, are, uh, are from Pfizer. And yet the total of their whole revenue combined comes to less than they get from the vaccine. So obviously Pfizer is making out like bandits for this. And Biden is determined to give them more and more money. You know, you listen to these shows on uh, Newsmax and they talk about you get people on who say we don't have to we shouldn't have to vaccinate kids. Uh, they, it's not widespread enough. The disease isn't that serious in most cases. Even those poor kids that died had comorbidities like, you know, heart conditions or something like that or cancer. Uh, but they're saying that, that you don't have to do that. And then you come to the part where they say why the government is insisting that they do that. And here they get a little vague. They go into, like, conspiracy theories, and they say the government likes to control everything, and they like to take people over. They like to tell them how to run their lives. I don't buy that. I think that's BS. I think the reason they're doing it is so Pfizer can make money. I think the reason they're doing that is to pay Pfizer back for its support of Joe Biden. You know, the giveaway is that for a long time, Pfizer was the only vaccine that was approved, and it is still the only vaccine that's approved for kids. The FDA is slow-walking everybody else's approval so that Pfizer can get in there. And you're looking at the most blatant payback for a political deal in political history. And it's, it, it's not motivated by some vague feeling that we like to control everything and we love being in charge and all of that. No, it's a dollars and cents proposition for Pfizer. Now, Trump was no slouch when it came to rewarding Pfizer and the other companies. When they didn't give him money, they were ingrates uh, because what Trump did was unbelievable. He said, I don't know if there is a vaccine. I don't know if you know how to make a vaccine. When you make it, I don't know if it's going to work. If it works, I don't know if it has side effects so I can't let people have it. But despite any of those unknowns, here is $100 billion I'm giving you to buy vaccines you haven't produced, and we don't know that they can be produced. But I'm prepaying it to you so you can use that capital to develop it. And guess what? If you don't develop it, you don't owe it. It's a grant. It's a gift. Here, go, go celebrate early Christmas. And that's what he did with all of the pharmaceutical companies. It's the most incredible arrangement of all. He said, I am prepaying for this vaccine that doesn't exist, and I don't know if it can exist. That's how we developed the vaccine. Uh, Trump's doing that. And then he did one other thing. He said, then Trump the builder took over. 
and he said, we're going to build this thing real fast, like when he built the War Memorial skating rink in Central Park, and the city never got to renovate it, and he did it in like a week or something. What he said was, I'm going to build you a factory. And he ordered parts flown in from all over the world. The military did this. Machines from here, equipment from there, a testing lab from here, and so on. And he built it in the United States. And when it was finished, he gave the key to the pharmaceutical companies and said, this is your hostess present. This is your factory. You have it. You own it. It's yours forever. I know how they divided among themselves. But, I mean, that's the way Trump did business, the way Biden did business was to do absolutely nothing except criticize the vaccine, raise doubts about whether people should get it, implied that Trump had fixed the FDA and was getting approval for a vaccine that he needed politically but that would kill people if they took it. And now, as soon as he took office, he was bemoaning that people listened to him and that they weren't getting the vaccine in sufficient numbers. And But you're looking here at the, the payoff Uh, to Pfizer, and it is so revolting and so disgusting, it's beyond belief. Uh, Absolutely, it is just incredible. Uh, Let's go to to Judith in Brooklyn, my favorite caller. Absolutely love you, Judith. Thank you so much, and you are a walking, talking encyclopedia. I learn a lot from you, and everyone else does, I'm sure, and we appreciate this show, this one-hour show that you give us. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm holding on. I did call. I wanted to call about a superstar that was unreported. The mainstream are afraid of her. The Dems are afraid of her, and that's Winsome Sears, who is a, a black woman, immigrant, master's degree, marine, successful woman, on and on, and they just, like, shoved her on. They didn't even, like, oppress. And I think she has a lot to do with maybe the black votes over there in Virginia as well, because she's amazing. She was the lute- she's the lieutenant governor, I think. Yeah, she, yeah. she won. She's right. She's great. Right. You know what she said? You know what she said? But I want to tell you about Pfizer. I want to tell you about the, uh, I want to tell you about the Pfizer, too, because as I'm listening, I've got to share something with you, if I may. But she also said, you know what? Just leave us black people alone. Let us vote for whomever we want, she says. You say you're so tolerant, so just leave us alone. And that should be true for any voter. Yep. I mean, if we want to vote for Trump, it's our business. Yep. This is America still. And you if know, you American vote for, democracy. It's not true that if you vote for Trump, you ain't black, as Biden said. But tell me about Pfizer. What's on your mind? Oh, yes. You know something? Um, unfortunately, I have to say this. Five-year-olds and up for little kids like that, they will be experimental guinea pigs. I'll tell yeah, you why. Right. There is a Dr. Rubin. He's part of the FDA. 17 of them approved. 70 doctors. Dr. Rubin said, we will only know after giving the vaccines to the children. In other words, you will not yeah. know the effects till you give it to them. So they yeah, are basically exactly. experimental guinea pigs. It's really well, scary. It, it's true for everybody. How can they tell the effect of the vaccine until it's administered to a mass of the population. Look, we know that the vaccine is not going to kill half of the kids that get it or a quarter of the kids that get it or a tenth of the kids that get it or one percent of the kids. If it's deadly and it's it's bad, it's going to kill one out of every 50,000 that get it or one out of every 100,000 or 28 million kids are going to get this vaccine. And the only way we can find out if it really is lethal or if it's dangerous or if it causes something later in life, is to have a large enough sample so that we can tell that. And when the vaccine is sitting on a lab shelf, uh, we can't administer it to a large enough group of people to be able to tell what the story is with it. 
And now much of the time you take that risk. Um, Trump, for example, faced a decision on the main vaccine saying there are two moments. One is the moment when the FDA says this is not going to hurt you. It's, it's, it's not unsafe. It's safe to take it. Then there's another moment, maybe three years later, where they say it's effective because I followed a million people who've gotten the shot for three years and nothing's happened wrong. And he said, don't wait for the second milestone. Distribute it after you've determined that it is not unsafe. But you really can't determine that with a large, with a small sample size that you have here, particularly when it's among children. So you're absolutely right. And the point is that it was worth taking that risk when 700,000 lives of adults were at stake. But it's not worth taking the risk when 146 lives are at stake. Okay? I mean, that that's like a, a, a morning dose of school buses. I mean, this is not a massive, huge epidemic sweeping the children of the world, like polio was, for example. So um, let's go to uh, Andrew uh, from Stanhope, New Jersey. Hey, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Um, just want to ask you two things. It's going to be quick. It's a interview with the gubernatorial candidate for Pennsylvania for a local station I'm working for. He's a Republican. What's his name? And uh, <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent. It's uh, Nietzsche Zuma, like the word okay. Nietzsche, but without the I. Yeah, and he's a, a surgeon yeah. here in Pennsylvania. Okay, and uh, so let me, I got to go to a break in a minute, but let me answer you. Uh, the the advice is run. Uh, <laughs> how do you get ahead across a lake on a windy day? You hoist your sail. <laughs> you capture the wind, and the wind does the rest. It propels you along. You don't sit there studying the angle of the sail. You just put something up in the air, and in this environment, the canvas is, wind is blowing so much, that canvas is going to move you across the lake. Uh, you've got a tide going for you and a wind going for you that I think is going to sweep Pennsylvania and the rest of the country. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. You know, when you're investing, you're deciding how you can invest your money, you have a variety of options. And uh, I did a survey uh, of uh, investors, and I found that the that larger numbers of people are planning to invest in gold and silver in the coming year than are planning to buy stocks or T-bills or mortgage-backed securities or Bitcoins. In my sample, 22% said that they were going to invest in gold or silver, buy more of it. Uh, only 20% said they would buy more stocks. Only 10% said they would buy more treasury bills. Only 13% said they would buy more cryptocurrencies, Bitcoins and stuff. And, you know, if everybody else is buying it, that's going to send the stock price up. That's going to send the price of, the, of gold and of silver up. And what's motivating people is by 48 to 17, they agreed that gold and silver are among the best protections against inflation. And they also agreed that gold and silver are among the safest investments in times of market and political turbulence by 49 to 16. 
So if the rest of the world is doing it, you should, because that means demand is going to increase and the price is going to go up. So call the Patriot Gold Group at 800-356-4470. 800-356-4470. Get a no-administrative-fee gold and silver-backed IRA at 800-356-4470. So let's continue here with our discussion about the uh, about the elections, uh, about the unbelievable turnaround that's happened with Donald Trump in a potential race against Joe Biden. These figures just absolutely knocked my socks off. One month ago, Trump was defeating Biden by two points in a hypothetical race. Now he's defeating him by seven points. Unbelievable. Trump is at 49, Biden at 42 in the Emerson poll, which is a Democratic liberal-leaning poll. In the election, Emerson was predicting a wipeout for Biden. He was going to defeat Trump everywhere. Didn't happen. Uh, So I've never trusted Emerson uh, because of their bias. But if they come up with these numbers, imagine what an impartial poll comes up with. And we had an impartial poll in Virginia. Not a poll, but an election. And when you compare how the Republicans did this year with how the Republicans did in Trump's election of 2020, you see astonishing gains among Democratic voters. Millennials, kids and people in their 20s now, voted for Youngkin, the Republican this year, by 21 points more than they voted for Trump in 2020. Women voted Republican 16 points more this year than they did in 2020. Independents voted Republican 28 points more than they did in 2020. And households with children, the big focus of the, of the uh, Republican Youngkin campaign, voted for the Republicans by 14 points more than they voted in the previous year. Those kinds of numbers are just incredible. And uh, they really, I think, mean something very important. Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn. Hey, Larry. I'd like to make two statements regarding both topics. First of all, how does a murderer continue to benefit himself? Um, And that is by continuing to murder because he has to get rid of witnesses. The same thing with the government. When the facts uh, have been coming out about the NIH being implicated in gain of function, they have to continue to assert the vaccine in order to cover their tracks, no matter what the, uh, the, what the outcome is. Uh, they're going to dictate to you how you die. Um, uh, no, but, that. It's going to be by the vaccine. But wait a minute. Before you go on, I want to stop you there. The NIH gain-of-function thing has no relationship to the efficacy of the vaccine. Don't blame it on the vaccine. Uh, the NIH decided, because of some Frankenstein-mad scientists there, that it would be really cool to learn how to take a, a bacteria, a, 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 that do, a virus, that doesn't really hurt people and get it transmitted to people so it kills people. And that would be really cool to be able to do. It would be a scientific breakthrough. There might be a Nobel Prize in the offing for me. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do that, even though Congress, by the way, Uh, passed a resolution urging them not to do gain-of-function research. Uh, That's what we're talking about. Yeah, the government's covering it up. 
And yeah, you're right. The government, in effect, helped start this pandemic. And by the government, I don't just mean the government of China. I mean the government of the United States that spent $200 million on this horrible gain-of-function research. But, you know, let's not blame it on the vaccine. They're doing fine. Let's go to Eli, Eli, I think it is, in Rockland County. Thank you, Michael. Uh, So I really like to talk to you about uh, what you touched last week, China. But before this, okay, I was listening to your favorite caller. She sounds like a really lively lady, but I disagree with her assessment regarding child uh, vaccination. I think drug company would be suicidal, and I don't think it's the nature of any business to basically fall down if they would risk death of children. I mean, this would be a total they, disaster. They have immunity, Eli. Uh, one Congress has passed immunity for the vaccine for the pharmaceutical companies. If we all drop dead because of the vaccine, they don't lose a penny in lawsuits. Congress immunized them from lawsuits. So that, that ain't going to happen. What's your, your point about China, though? Okay. All right. So, well, uh, people uh, don't realize, maybe some people don't realize, okay, that you really have to look on the history of China. Uh, and I'm going now many, many years before, in a time where uh, they had the opium wars, uh, yep. England was, uh, uh, you know, yep. uh, the, controlling, the controlling factor here. Yep. I truly believe that this is their uh, goal. They want to resus- uh, bring back the empire, the Chinese empire. That's why they did, and they uh, uh, put somebody, and he's basically... Okay. Before uh, I have to end the show, because I'm right near the end, let me give you a good response, because that's a very good metaphor. The Opium War was one of the most disgusting things in world history. Britain, the government of the United Kingdom, the monarchy, decided that they wanted to make more money by selling opium in China, and the, which China produced. And the Chinese people objected to it. Sun Yat-sen, who was sort of the George Washington of China, led an effort against it. And uh, Britain sent in troops to enforce and protect opium sales to stop the Chinese people from resisting the sale of opium. It was so revolting. And that led to a whole feeling of hatred against foreign countries that stays with us in uh, in China, foreign devils, they call them. And you're correct that a lot of the Chinese nationalism is based on that, uh, or the Nanking Massacre by the Japanese. But what China wants to do now is, is far more insidious. They are not trying. I mean, they have an army, they have a navy, they may invade Taiwan, they may be active in the South China Sea. But their real plan for global domination is to use the Internet to dominate each of us individually. There are 2,400 major U.S. companies that have, in which China has significant stock holdings, if not total control. In China, domestically, they use the Internet to give everyone a political reliability rating, very much like the credit scores that we get in the U.S., And it's based on what you write and what you say and, if possible, what you think. And you rate it according to your political reliability, your social reliability, they call it. If your score is high, you can fly on airplanes. If it's not, they won't let you board. If it's high enough, they can get to give you a good job. If not, you won't get it. A good apartment, good housing. 
Your whole life is contingent on your social reliability score. And if you write something against the government and publish it online, your score drops way down and your life style is badly con- uh, curbed. What they want to do is use the Internet to give each of us in the U.S. and throughout the world a social reliability score. Dick Morris criticizes China every chance he gets. His is too low for zero. And and what they then want to do is to go to the 2,400 companies that they partially control and say, don't hire Dick Morris. Don't buy an ad on Newsmax or on WABC where he appears because he's politically unreliable. Uh, don't let somebody else hire him because he, we're blacklisting him. And they can do that across national boundaries using their investment portfolios in other countries and using their ability to monitor the Internet in other countries. Now, the key way that they want to monitor the Internet was through 5G, which is the new innovation for cell phones. And the company they're going to use to do it is Huawei, H-U-A-W-E-I. So Trump imposed sanctions on Huawei. And when the founder of Huawei and the the daughter of the founder and one of the key officials traveled to Canada, uh, Trump had her arrested and thrown in jail. Uh, Biden let her out for some God-unknown reason. And Trump's sanctions against Huawei have stopped them from taking over the 5G market. They used to be dominant in Britain. Now they can't get their foot in the door in Britain. In fact, they just announced that they're dropping 5G as their major project, and they're trying to sell electric cars so that they can generate some revenue. Victory for Trump. But China has not changed its plans. That's what it's trying to go for. So we've talked today, I think, a lot about the unbelievable message that Virginia sent and the incredible obtuseness of the Democrats in not realizing that message, in not understanding what's going on. Uh, the Democratic core constituencies are turning on Biden. Black voters gave Biden a positive rating of 72% in September and 52% this week, from 72 to 52. Crash and burn. Well, thanks for watching. More from me next week. See you later. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.